And we are live with our 115th episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson, at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Seth Law, at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, Ken, thanks for doing the intro. As always, we're really excited to have uh, Clint Gibbler with us today. Um, we don't have many announcements. There is, a, a, what are we calling it, Midwinter's Night or Midwinter Nights Con um, is coming up December 16th and 17th. Uh, you can see the details, the link we're going to post here shortly. Um, actually, the schedule's not not up, but it will be later today. Um, wow. But it, like YouTube won't let me <laughs> share the link. Okay, we'll try again somewhere else. It just said it was... Uh, this is a fairly common one sharing link. Okay. Um, but check out absoluteapsec.com slash cons, C-O-N-S. Uh, and otherwise, I don't think there's much else that we've got on our calendars outside of, you know, the normal holiday stuff. Ken, is there anything that I'm forgetting right now? Um, otherwise, I know we're, we have a lot to talk about with Clint, so we, we do want to jump into it. But Ken, anything else? Um, no. So, yeah, I don't I don't think that there's too much um yeah i was trying to think like i don't think there is anything much to to cover right now so okay i think we can just jump right into it cool i'm excited about a uh, midwinter's nikon though uh i watched a number of the talks from midsummer's nikon uh and they were great yeah so i'm looking forward to uh, what's in store thanks yeah, yeah we try to like i curate we try to curate good content yes. but we have people that are basically we should give them a lot of credit, Seth, these folks. Yeah, yeah, we should. I mean, a couple of people that have been on the podcast before, Abdullah Munawar, um, Ben Pick, they're all helping put it together. Um, we're just going to advertise, right? Like we're going to be there and, you know, hosting the link and everything and helping run things along. But they're they're putting in the lion's share of the effort, along with Stefan Edwards with Logical. Um, there's a bunch of guys. David Lintner. On this one. David Lintner. Yep. <laughs> I don't want to leave anybody off, but yeah, they We'll, we'll, we'll give a round table at some point and maybe have them all on to talk about it after it's over. That'd probably be a good thing to do. And a recap would be fun. Um, good. Oh, well, Clint, there's a couple of things that you wanted to talk about that you had on your list. I know that you, since we last talked here on the podcast, you've changed jobs. Um, that you're now over at R2C, correct? Uh, yeah, uh, I was at uh, NCC Group, so doing security <laughs> consulting, and then I uh, sort of hopped the fence to uh, R2C, which is uh, sort of a San Francisco startup building a, an open source static analysis tool called SEMGRIP, uh, which mm -hmm. I can show you a bit about today. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I sort of, uh, I saw the value in sort of finding uh, sort of manually uh, all of these bugs, but I just thought to really have an impact to try to sort of measurably improve software security at scale. Uh, I was trying to find a way to do that. And I thought by helping build sort of the tools that I wish I had, um, and then helping more people uh, have access to tooling like that uh, would be like a high leverage thing to do. Um, so I decided to give it a try. Uh, and it's been okay. a blast so far. Yeah. So what what is your your new position over there actually entail? Um, are you doing research? Are you doing development? Uh, what what is your position? <laughs> a little bit of everything, uh, as, as is the case, I suppose, in small startups. Uh, so I'm a uh, head of security research, okay. uh, which means I do basically a little bit of everything from uh, helping uh, sort of be a pro user uh, of the product and sort of advocate for like as say an internal AppSec engineer or as a security consultant, what features would I want? 
Um, there, we have like a security team who's like writing new checks for the security tool, as well as just like sort of like a security vision for where the product might head and helping with sales, helping with marketing, uh, writing blog posts, uh, really just everything. Okay. Writing, writing code, prototyping new things. Um, yeah, it would be hard for me to choose one thing that I don't do at least a little bit. <laughs> Not necessarily well, well, but I do do it a little bit. Okay, yeah. No, that's a, yeah, that's good, right? Um, you know, I, I've been uh, on the static analysis side, right? Like, I, I've always felt that there's kind of this this gap there. The, the manual stuff that you're talking about is extremely useful, and I know as a consultant, that's what I end up I end up spending the majority of my time on that side of the the fence, right? Um, I may scan something using, I mean, we had Mark Fefferman from Checkmarks on, you know, a few weeks ago. I may spend some time with that, but the majority of my existence when it comes to code review and the code review course that we taught, you've been to it before, right, is is all about that manual side of things. So any improvement to a tool or an IDE that speeds up that process is definitely a a plus in our book, right? Like I always go back to, kind of the model when we're doing Rails applications and Brakeman, right? The open source Brakeman scanner, the output that comes out of that is extremely useful to me yeah, as opposed scary. to, yeah, as opposed to some of the others. And so it feels like that's kind of what SEMGREP is is turning into. Um, yeah, yeah. I think uh, you in particular, like both of us have, uh, well, you're still uh, leading a consulting firm, but, you know, as people, uh, all of us with, with years of uh, security consulting, uh, I think, so I've tried pretty much every static analysis tool, um, that exists, uh, commercial as well as open source. And I think that SEMGREP hits, we can talk more details in a second, but it hits like a nice sweet spot between sort of like GREP, which is like not good enough, and sort of like traditional commercial SAS, which is like way too heavyweight and like too much. It, it mm-hmm. tries to hit like a middle ground. Yeah. Um, but yeah, actually, uh, if you want, I can get into it. So I have like uh, like five minutes of slides for just like, here's basically how SEMGREP fits into things and here's some sort of like trade-offs uh, we're making, uh, but mostly I just want to demo, um, like writing custom rules together and then uh, integrating it into CI in like two or three minutes. And uh, at the end of it, uh, I would like to uh, have you two write a rule. Um, have you ever uh, like used SEMGREP yourself? Uh, I, I, I've, I've actually, dem- like I pulled it down, like after you went over there, I, you know, I've used it before, um, but most of it, I was playing with it against like that VTM, like the vulnerable task manager, like that Django, because I was interested to see specifically the rules around Django and, you know, w- what it found, what it didn't find. Um, but I know that there's some like improvement there that could be done for sure. Right. So yeah, I, yeah I'm, I'm really interested. So I, I have used it before. I don't know if Ken's played with it yet. I'm actually downloading it right now, um, and I have a good use case for it. So, yes, <laughs> cool. So, it right now, this is actually uh, perfect because I I would like you to not be experts at it because I want to show you that you can go from like knowing basically nothing about it to using it uh, proficiently in like half an hour. Um, is a uh, is my... well, we've got 45 minutes left, so let's let's go right. Uh, cool. Yeah. So let me uh, show you a few things. Um, can you uh, see my screen? Oh, yeah. Let me, we can switch over to it. There we go. Yeah. Uh, first of all, like Oops, Mad sorry. Props. Uh, Mad How props do I, to you guys. Sorry. <laughs> Give me one sec. We're trying to figure this out. <laughs> no worries. There's too, I, I, too, too many cooks in the kitchen here. Yeah. yeah. There we go. 
Uh, but yeah, when I saw uh, number 115, like, man, uh, yeah, doing TLDR sec uh, is hard. So so major props to you guys for, for keeping it up uh, for over two years. Uh, that's awesome. Thanks. Uh, yeah, so um, yeah, basically, I want to teach you to write rules uh, from scratch. Uh, and then at the end of this, uh, I'm going to have you, uh, not me, uh, write a rule to find an unauthenticated route in like an example vulnerable Flask app. Um, like, hey, these are the routes not doing auth, uh, which is something uh, to your guys' training point. Like, often uh, you want to look at, like, when you're doing, say, a code review or a pen test, like, what is the uh, external attack surface? Often in web apps, that's routes. Um, so this is, like, an example real thing. So, so uh, yeah, getting you to write something given that you've never done it before, maybe it's a, a bold claim, but uh, I think we can do it. Um, uh, yeah, let's not really talk about me. Uh, yeah, uh, so I work at R2C. Before that, I was a security consultant. Um, I also do a newsletter called TLDRSec, um, where I sort of read uh, a ton of stuff and sort of distill it down into one place. Um, here's like a obligatory Zoom company shot uh, of R2C um, because uh, it's a pandemic. Um, but yeah, basically, yeah, I just want to tell you like a little bit about what is SEMgrep, what's the background, where does it fit into other existing things. Uh, but mostly, I, I just want to like use it and, and write some rules with you all, uh, because I think that's more interesting than um, slides. Uh, yeah, so basically, SEMgrep is very customizable. It's lightweight, uh, and it's open source static analysis tool for finding bugs. Um, interestingly, uh, R2C actually didn't create it. It was originally created by uh, Yuan, who is the first program analysis hire at Facebook, uh, where they used it to enforce I think like over a thousand uh, secure coding patterns internally, uh, and basically um, R2C hired the original author, and we've sort of been building it out um, even further uh, than it was originally. Um, okay, so like, why is SEMgrep pretty cool for security consultants and say bug bounty or security researchers? Uh, it's open source, uh, LGPL, like pretty much every other uh, at least. Um, sort of standard like SAST tool is like, well, you can't really use it on proprietary code or like the licensing is going to be terrible, at least in my experience. Um, so it out of the box supports a bunch of different languages, Golang, Java, Python, JavaScript, TypeScript, Ruby, uh, and more. Um, you get a bunch of rules out of the box. You don't have to write things yourself. Um, you don't, it runs on source code. You don't need buildable source. Um, I don't know. Uh, Seth, like how often uh, as a security consultant do you get buildable source code? At least at NCC, the answer was like, no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if it's Rails or something like that, right? Maybe. But even then, right? I, I'm thinking like the last Python like Django app that we got, uh, even then it had like internal dependencies and it just wasn't possible, right? So, yeah. Yeah. It's very, yeah. very rare. I, I use like buildable in sort of the generic sense. Yeah. Usually there's internal dependencies that you don't necessarily have access to and like to get the environment in sort of like a runnable state. It's like not that easy. Yeah. Um, but, but I think like the biggest thing, which I am really going to highlight uh, today is when you're writing um, a rule, uh, generally static analysis tools, either you have to learn like this domain specific language for like, this is how to express security checks in our tool, um, or say with like linters, you have to write sort of a tree visitor pattern, which is also like not very easy. But I think the biggest selling point to me uh, about SEMgrep, what made me excited about it is basically like if you're trying to target Python code, your pattern is basically Python code. If you're trying to target Go code, your pattern is like Go code. So basically, like you don't need to learn like the separate thing that's going to take you hours or days um, in order to become proficient. Basically, if you can code, you can write some grep patterns. And there's like one or two helpful abstractions, but basically that's it. Um, 
And then so like, why should AppSec engineers or developers care about it? Um, I, there's like this idea of like, we have like these internal coding standards or every application has its own sort of implicit assumptions about how the application works. Like, you know, this function must be called before this function or make sure this function, like the second argument, like is a hard coded string or isn't. Um, there's all these like, domain knowledge about how code should or shouldn't work that's either on a wiki or maybe it's in the code itself or maybe it's just in some people's brains and it's not actually expressed anywhere. And the goal of SEMgrep is like, how can we make it easy to take like something you want to find in your brain and just enforce it continuously in CI, whether that's, you know, GitHub, GitLab, Travis, et cetera. Um, uh, and sort of like, how does SEMgrep fit in? So like static analysis is actually a spectrum, right? So on the simple side, you have like regexes like grep, on the advanced side, you have sort of whole program analysis where you're doing like control and data flow across many files, say like thousands of lines of code. Uh, and then in the middle, you have sort of uh, some strengths of both sides um, where your analysis necessarily like isn't as complex, but uh, it's a bit like faster and um, still language aware. So you're operating on like abstract syntax trees. Um, so this is what SEMgrep is. So it's sort of like the middle ground between sort of traditional SAST and, and grep. Um, and I can give you more details if you want, but that, that's sort of like the TLDR. Um, so uh, people often are like, hey, how does this fit in uh, with other tools? So um, most engines historically, well, basically static analysis tools have two core parts. They have like the rules, which is like the security domain knowledge, and then like an engine that can uh, basically parse source code and then apply those rules to find bugs. Um, so historically, pretty much every tool uh, did not have an uh, open source rules or engine. Um, so CodeQL is like super cool because they did open source their rules, uh, which I think is awesome. Um, but most of these tools, uh, the engine itself is not open source, um, which means you can't run this on closed source repos um, for free. Um, but uh, for none of them, uh, they have like a sort of like dashboard, SaaS app, whatever um, being open source. So um, for us, uh, this is how uh, <laughs> we're making money. Basically, it's like, if you want to run it yourself, free, run it on proprietary, like internal source code, it's free, like, cool, do whatever you want. Um, and then our idea is like, how do you sort of manage SEMgrep at scale? Like, how do you sort of choose what to run where? Um, like, have different scanning policies for like Django apps versus Rails apps, things like that. And like, metrics, uh, dashboard alerting, whatever is sort of like, uh, but everything besides that is free and open source, um, just to give you like a mental model for it. Um, also, I wanted to find like the most annoying GIF possible. Uh, <laughs> cracking up over it. <laughs> I'm over here laugh, like trying to hold it in while you're talking. Yeah, because I, I was like, what is what is the most like pretentious like uh, I don't Money. know NBA like dollars dollars. Um, Make it rain. Yeah. You guys, you guys are rolling it over there, right? That's <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I was like, make it rain GIF, and then I was like, what's the most uh, annoying one that I can do? Um, so I'm, I'm glad you appreciate it. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I think like open source and being involved with the community is very core uh, to R2C. And uh, one thing that we're, this is still early stages, but we're sort of trying to work with the OWASP community, um, specifically like the ASVS uh, project, uh, which is sort of a excellent document for various security controls and the OWASP cheat sheets, like this is good code, this is potentially dangerous code. So basically we want to make it easy to say like, given all of the code in your org, are you compliant with various like security standards just like immediately? You know, you don't have to like, um, 
uh, do like extensive code reviews, at least to get some initial understanding. Obviously, code review still has uh, an important role, but like, can we at least give you some sort of like baseline risk assessment? Um, and then also like, just like, hey, uh, developer in your IDE, um, you're writing code that doesn't follow these sort of OWASP cheat sheets best practices. Maybe you should uh, change this a little bit. So anyway, this is like super early stages, uh, but it is something that we think is important um, to try to take a bunch of security expertise and then make it more actionable uh, and continuous. Um, Okay, so that's basically it. Um, any any thoughts uh, so far? No, just I can see there immediately like seventeen ways in in which this is a, immediately applicable to to my work. So this is awesome. Thank you. Cool. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Uh, I'm I'm excited to to hear more about that. Um, yeah. Okay, so I'm just going to show you like a little bit of like the ecosystem. Um, so yeah, so R2C.dev is um, sort of like our main. Uh, company landing page. It's like a little bit about us. Um, Semgrep.dev is uh, the landing page for Semgrep uh, itself. Um, and we'll like look at a couple of things we can do there in a second. But um, but again, Semgrep is on open source. Uh, sorry, on GitHub and is open source. Uh, feel free to check it out. Um, if you want to say, look at like, oh, um, this is interesting. What do I get out of the box? So. Uh, there's like a collection of rules that we've grouped into rule sets. So like sets of checks you can run easily. So if you're like, hey, I want to run some things in CI and I want them to be pretty high signal, we have like a sort of a rule set for that. If you're, say, a security consultant and you're like, I want to find more things and it's okay if there's a little bit of noise because I want like a bigger set of things, um, you can use R2C security audit. Um, another thing we're really trying to lean into, um, which is probably a whole separate conversation um, is really leaning into secure defaults. So like sort of this Netflix idea of like a paved road. Um, and I think Jacob and you all uh, chatted a lot about this last time um, about like, how do we sort of build sort of secure libraries and have developers use them? So basically what we did is for a number of popular languages, we looked at like, okay, what are all the ways to uh, use HTTP instead of HTTPS or how do you like disable TLS uh, cert verification and things like that? Basically things that like, Probably you should just never do this. Like, but it's happened a lot. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like it's easy to do because I don't know. Maybe you're integrating with a third-party service and they like haven't done their search properly or something. But um, basically, we've we're starting to write rule sets where it's like, what is a type of thing that ideally uh, we never want to have happen, and then make it easy to flag all the places in your code where that happens, so that you can uh, ideally have some confidence where you're like, OK, if you run this rule set on all of your repos, it's pretty unlikely that you're ever going to, say, not use TLS, um, assuming that the rule set covers sort of the libraries and things that you use. Um, so that is like something we're really leaning into, not just like how do we find bugs, but how do we like tackle entire problem classes? Um, for example, for uh, cross-site scripting, we're like, how do you turn off output encoding in every major language and framework, like say five languages or so? Um, so again, this isn't necessarily proving that something is vulnerable to cross-site scripting. It, we're not guaranteeing that um, you know, user input can uh, reach, say, the dangerous sink or the uh, place that is not output encoding. But if you have no places which don't, uh, or if every place output encodes, then it's OK if user input gets there, because it's not vulnerable. Um, that's sort of the intuition. Um, so. One thing that I find pretty exciting is um, we're trying to sort of like democratize 
static analysis, if you will, where like, we don't want this to be like a security tool. We want this to be just like a really good linting tool that developers can get excited about. Um, so uh, we actually have given talks uh, for a couple of companies like AppSec teams, and they're like, hey, this is cool. Like, uh, but can you come back and talk to our like developer productivity team or our sort of like internal dev team that focuses on building like tools and infrastructure that the rest of engineering uses? Um, because there's like code standards and code patterns that we want to enforce like across our organization. And basically it's just simpler to write a SEMGRIP rule than it is to write a linter for like ESLint or um, GoLint or, or other tools like that. Um, so yeah, so we're going to mostly talk about like security today, but really this is just like some grip is like sort of a Swiss army knife for just like finding code. Um, so you can use that for security or quality or best practices uh, or whatever. Um, so Damien uh, is the author of Go Perfbook um, and just like a very talented Golang programmer. Um, and he's created a series of SEMGRIP rules that are basically like, this is sketchy Go code. Like probably you shouldn't do it this way, um, but it's not really security related. Um, so I think that's pretty cool. Um, and uh, another thing is like, if you, there's a bunch of open source static analysis tools, but oftentimes like the way you call them is different or like their output format is different or uh, just you need to remember all the magic flags. So we've actually been taking the um, open source or the rules for various open source tools and porting them to SEMGREP. So you can actually get the coverage from all of these other tools in one tool. Um, also just to test the sort of expressivity uh, of SEMGREP. Um, yeah. so in some of these sort of packs above, you can be like, oh, this this uh, rule set will actually effectively run like Bandit and GoSec and Node.js scan uh, and others. Um, yeah, actually, Ajin, uh, the author of Node.js scan, has uh, ported all of his um, rules for Node.js scan to SEMGREP under the hood um, because previously he was using regexes and he was like, oh, this is like more uh, effective and uh, uh, high signal because um, obviously regexes can be a bit noisy. Yeah, um, I feel like that maybe kind of answers this question, but we had one which was how hard is it to add a new language? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, in static analysis tools in general, uh, I would say the answer is uh, hard um, because basically you need to, so like stepping back, how do static analysis tools work? Basically um, they take the source code, uh, parse it into like a tree or a graph, and then the rules are sort of uh, applied to that in sort of like a tree or a graph matching uh, algorithm type thing. It's sort of like simplified a bit, but that's basically how it works. So the uh, when you're adding a new language, you basically need to uh, add sort of a front end uh, parser that can turn the language into the sort of intermediate representation that the engine operates on. Um, so in general, I would say that's hard. However, uh, we actually f uh, have um, a pretty neat trick uh, that we stumbled across. Um, so actually, I think, so there's a very cool uh, project from GitHub uh, called TreeSitter, which basically is, uh, I think it's powering Atom and maybe uh, the sort of jump to definition on github.com itself. But basically it's sort of a, a collection of parsers for many languages to um, uh, basically try to take away some of this burden uh, that, that's like ma making it hard to parse. But basically uh, SEMGRIP, leverages TreeSitter, which already has grammars for many, many languages, like 30 languages. Um, so rather than maintaining and building um, parsers ourselves for every language, we're leveraging this existing project uh, from GitHub, which is awesome. Uh, and we've actually pushed back uh, a lot of work as well, I think, especially for TypeScript. Um, but yeah, so it's not a ton of work for us to add new languages. Um, it's maybe like a, a couple of weeks or a month or two. 
Um, yeah, I would say Elixir is not currently uh, a top priority. Uh, I'm actually a huge fan of Elixir. I think it's an awesome language, uh, but we're sort of going based on uh, customer asks. Um, so we will get to every language eventually. But um, yeah, I would say in the last maybe four months, we've added one or two languages. Um, and we will probably add another couple in the next uh, few quarters, probably. Uh, but yeah, thanks for your question. Um, yeah, does that uh, answer what you're thinking? And that was, by the way, that was Matt Conda. Um, yeah. Just as Jim or I. Oh, cool. Thanks, Matt. Um, yeah. yeah, sorry, Seth. No, no, I was, I, yeah, I, like I wasn't familiar with Tree Sitter, but that's a, like th that, that does feel like it makes the whole static analysis it, from any perspective more approachable, right? Uh, I mean, obviously, you guys are already full on down the road of implementing it you know, across the board, but yeah, is that, uh, it, we, we don't need to get into it. I can do research into it later. So, but yeah, I will. That's, that looks good. Yeah. Yeah. TreeSitter is a cool project and it's really a nice, um, I think service, uh, to the community that, uh, GitHub did in, in open source and maintaining it. So, so thumbs up to them. Yes. Um, uh, okay, cool. So yeah, that's, uh, oh yeah, I guess, um, if you want, uh, there's also like a bunch of docs. Uh, I'm just going to show you like some of the things SimGrep can do today, but there's really like a ton of things uh, that we won't have time to do. Um, so feel free to check those out. We also have a, a community Slack where we're pretty responsive. Uh, if you have any questions about getting set up or you're like writing a rule and you're like, ah, it's not working. Um, so yeah, feel free to check that out. Um, okay, yeah, so let's, let's just start writing. Uh, yeah, so uh, if you are interested in SimGrep, but you like don't want to install anything, uh, we have this uh, sort of like Regex 101 or like the Golang playground where basically you can run SimGrep uh, in the browser without installing anything. Um, so that's basically what we're going to do today just because like let's make life easy for ourselves. So basically here you can enter a SimGrep pattern. Uh, here you can enter code that you're trying to match. Uh, and then on the right-hand side, this is like, if your pattern matches anything, you'll, you'll see it uh, pop up there. So, so let's first, uh, it's maybe too big. Um, yeah, is this big enough for you? Can you see it? Yeah. Yep, we can. Okay. Uh, so this is just to highlight, like, why do you need something that's source code aware rather than grep? Um, so let's say uh, in Python, exec is dangerous. We want to find all the calls to some dangerous function. Um, so here... We can see like exec being called with a, a hard-coded string or a variable. But here, it's like there's another function uh, that ends with exec, but it's not actually exec. Um, here, there's some white space. Here, it's across multiple lines. Uh, here, it's in a comment. Here, it's in a string literal. So ideally, we would want to match both of these and like not match this because it's a different function. And ideally, we don't want to match these other things that are um, not actually function calls, right? So these are things that would probably be pretty annoying to write a regex to do that. Um, and I, I have written many a messy regex in my day, uh, code auditing, uh, and and this is sort of a pain. So so how does um, uh, SimGrep make this a little less painful? So basically, uh, again, because we are targeting Python code, we're essentially going to write Python. But there's basically two abstractions uh, to make things a little bit easier. So one is the uh, ellipsis operator. So just dot, dot, dot. Uh, and that essentially means uh, we want to find all calls to exec uh, that can have zero or more arguments. So we don't care if there's one argument or two or zero, uh, just find any of them. So if we click run, 
we can see that we found this call and this call, uh, but we did not find this one because it's not actually exec. White space didn't matter, uh, and we did not flag uh, the cases that were a comment or a string literal. So basically, it's like, oh, this is basically what I wanted to do, um, at least conceptually in my mind. I was like, okay, find function calls to exec, and it could be, um, you know, uh, another. There could be two variables, because again, um, or two arguments, because again, the ellipsis operator is like, I don't care, uh, zero or more. It's sort of like a dot star in yeah, retrospect. Yeah. Um, but uh, SimGrip is actually even smarter than that. So let's look up here at the top. So here, we're actually doing an import alias, where we're saying locally in this uh, file, exec can also be referred to as safe function. And then we're calling safe function, say, on some like user input. And basically, SimGrep is smart enough to say, oh, I see that you've imported, or that locally exec uh, can be also called as safe function. So it's actually flagging this, even though in the pattern, I said nothing about imports at all. Um, it's just like doing what I intended. Yeah, that's actually, that's pretty impressive, right? Because I mean, normally, I, I'm thinking about the normal process that I have, you know, I've only got code and I've got it fired up in an IDE. I've got everything exactly what you're looking at, right? Like I see exec all across the board and I may pick that up that I see an import there. But it's going to require, you know, again, one more step that I'm going to go through to to figure out what's going on with that import and where that safe function is called. Yeah, getting that for free is well, well, almost free, right? Like, it's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, we're trying to um, sort of like push down as much sort of like hard things into the tool so that it's just like totally abstracted from you, so you like don't have to worry about it. It's like we'll do the hard part for you, and you just like express what you intend. Uh, yeah. Sort of the goal. Um, cool. So yeah, if uh, there's no questions uh, about this, I'll go to uh, the next example. Just gradually go as uh, people are typing, perhaps. Uh, okay. So I said that there's basically two uh, abstractions on top of the language itself. So one of them is the ellipsis operator, uh, which matches like zero or more things. Uh, another is uh, meta variables. So you can think of meta variables sort of like a capture group in regular expression, where you're like, I don't know what this is ahead of time, but like I want to sort of like capture uh, of reference to it. Um, so here we see two things that are vulnerable to cross-site scripting. So this is um, Express in uh, JavaScript, where basically we're establishing a route, we're uh, taking like a request and a response object. We are getting a, a URL parameter, and then we're just directly writing that to the response. So just sort of like classic cross-site scripting. Um, so let's see how uh, meta variables can allow us to basically sort of track how code is flowing uh, through this function. So again, because this is just uh, some of our patterns are basically just code, you can actually just like copy and paste uh, the code you're looking for. Um, and we see that we found like exactly this, but you know we don't want to find like just exactly this. We want to sort of abstract away the parts that don't matter. Um, so uh, we don't necessarily care what the route is, so we can just replace that with like a dot dot dot, uh, because uh, within quotes dot 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 means like any string. Like I don't care what the value is, um, and the user like the developer might not call um, the request object rec. Like it could. Like the name doesn't matter. That's just a convention. So here we can use a meta variable, which is basically a dollar sign, uh, and then sort of a an all caps label. 
So we can say uh, rec. Um, and then basically, we can say, oh, OK. And then they used that here. Um, and so query is like sort of the query parameters. But the thing that they're um, uh, extracting, like that could be different in, in different functions. So like maybe we just want to say like, like some parameter, and it's going to get stored into some variable. And then that's going to get sent in the response. So this is sort of like conceptually, like as a security professional, kind of like how to describe the vulnerability almost, which is like, OK, we've got a request object. Uh, someone is going to get like a parameter from that request object, store it in some variable, and then basically send that in the response. Um, like if you were to sort of describe it as a as like a, a pen test or something, at least to me, that's, that's kind of how uh, I would mentally think of it. Um, yeah, and so now, like, let's say, um, I don't know. So currently, we're matching if it's name, but I don't know. It could be um, like email uh, or whatever. So basically, like, it doesn't matter what this is because we're just like matching anything, um, and like, it doesn't matter uh, what this is because again, we're just tracking that those two are the same. Um, so we're not actually matching this case yet, because it's like, well, there's this other statement in here. Um, so what we can do is say, oh, yeah, there could be one or more statements, zero or more statements in between these two. So we can just do like a dot, dot, dot. Um, oh, yeah. And look, so we're not just directly sending that response back. We're actually doing like a string concatenation here. So ideally, it would be nice to say, like, uh, this variable is used somewhere in this argument. Um, and there actually is like a special syntax for doing that, where uh, it's basically like uh, less than dot, dot, dot. So basically, this is saying, like, I don't know where it is in this argument, but it's like somewhere. Like, there could be some sort of string concatenation or, or other things. Um, but if we do that, then this does match as well. Um, so this will still match if I do something like. Um, like something after, because we're saying like I don't know really where it's it's somewhere in this argument, but like there's probably other stuff there. Too. Um, this is so awesome for just finding just just finding routes, even just that alone, yeah. and listing them all out. This is just that's perfect. Uh, yeah, so I'm gonna have you two do that uh, in a second. Uh, <laughs> Sweet. Uh, so yeah, any uh, any questions so far? So the, um, yeah, a couple. So um, the first is for the greater than, less than. Um, so that's just denoting on either side of the variable that like, so that I could just use that and put any variable that I'm trying to track in between those. And it's, it's fine. There's, is that like, meaning it's not contextual, like, oh, well, I have to be looking for HTML code. It's just like greater than, less than dot, you know, ellipses, and like, yeah, the variable in between, no, no other. Yeah. So, uh, let me, uh, I'm not, let me answer and then tell me if this is not actually answering your question. So, uh, in this case, this is sort of like an HTML response, but in general, the syntax is basically just saying like, uh, as an argument to res.write somewhere in there. So somewhere in the complex expression that could be the function argument, uh, 
there's like this meta variable. So um, like basically any function call that you want to say like some user variable like gets into there somehow, like because like maybe there's like a ternary operation, maybe there's like nested function calls inside there. It's basically like uh, anything can happen inside here, but somewhere there's this meta variable. Um, so it could be just that meta variable, or it could be like 10 other things. But as long as this um, sort of a variable that's gotten something from a request parameters in there, um, or just whatever context this is, this is just one example, uh, it'll still match. Yeah, that's super helpful. Um, and then, um, well, actually, you know what? I'll ask this question at the end just to see if like, because you might cover it. So I'm going to save this as, uh, another question for later just to see if you cover it. Okay, cool. So. Yeah, please do. Um, so yeah, let's. Uh, so basically, uh, let's just walk through like one more example, and then I'll just like show you a few things quickly. Um, but, but this is this can be the last one that we write together. Um, so this is Java. So we've looked at Python. We've looked at JavaScript. That here's a Java example. Um, in a lot of applications, uh, there's like business logic. Um, like in every app I've ever pen tested, there's like assumptions about how things should or shouldn't work. Um, so SimGrep, again, is not just for finding security vulnerabilities, but also for enforcing like business logic. So let's say this is like an example, hypothetical financial trading application where you need to call this verify transaction on an object before you pass that object to make transaction because maybe it's doing some sanity checking, uh, it's making sure the state is properly vetted or you know something like that. Um, so let's say that's like the business requirement goal we're trying to uh, enforce and here's just a couple of code examples. Like here, we're calling verify transaction, and then we're calling make. Okay, this is perfect. This is what we want to see. Um, but if instead we're calling uh, make without verify, like this is bad. Um, if we call them in the wrong order, that's bad. Uh, if we only call verify, like that's fine. Uh, there could be other statements in the middle uh, and so forth. So, so let's think of like how do we take this idea and express it uh, in SEMGREP um, and it's kind of hard to express the the absence of something, um, like the absence of verify. So I think conceptually, one way to express this is saying like, let's find every function that calls make transaction, and then let's filter out all of the cases that don't call verify before. So it's like find everything and then filter out the ones that are sort of like false positives. Um, so, so far we've looked at the ellipsis operator and meta variables, um, but there's like one more thing uh, that we're going to look at, which is basically patterns are composable. So you can say like, this must be true and this must be true or this, or this can be true or this, but not that sort of like Boolean combinations. Um, so basically what we're going to do is say like, um, you know, find every uh, function that calls make transaction. And then uh, we'll do and is not. So again, there's like, or and uh, or like and is not um, basically calls uh, verify first. It's conceptually what we're going to do. So OK, so yeah, questions? No, I, I was just going to say, like, you know, in the in the course, we often talk about anti patterns, right? Is kind of what what we're talking about here. And that that, that was going to be my question. So I'm, I'm glad you're jumping into it because it always is like, when I'm looking for, hey, where are the, where am I missing these operators, right? That kind of an idea. It's the same, 
I mean, it's the same process. So continue on. I was just, you know, like I think of these as anti-patterns, but that's just me. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, oftentimes when you're like uh, pen testing a code base, you're like, oh, this is a pattern that's like specific to this code base. And yeah. because it's so quick to write and iterate on patterns, uh, I think SendGrep is uniquely well qualified for like writing patterns on the fly to find things that are unique to one code base. Because um, most tools, right, are going to ship with rules that apply to as many code bases as possible. It might not make sense. Like vendors that have not seen your code don't understand what is specific to your code, obviously. Um, but ideally, uh, we want to make something so you can write things that are custom to your app. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, Gemari uh, had a question about, um, can this analyze uh, sort of config files for secrets? Um, uh, so the answer is yes. Um, and I actually have an example uh, of something similar to that uh, in a second. Cool. Um, cool. So basically, um, how is this going to work? So we don't necessarily know what the function uh, is called ahead of time. So let's make that a meta variable. We don't care about the arguments. Um, and make transaction might not be the first statement, but like it happens somewhere. So, so let's say like some some one or more statements or zero more statements happens. Zero more things can happen after. But basically, like let's find every function that calls make transactions somewhere uh, in the body. And we can just like run this quickly. Uh, oh, I think it's probably not happy that I didn't fill that out. Oh, oh yeah, this is uh, another thing. So you need your um, code to be valid. Um, Java um, or valid Python or whatever. So because we're actually parsing it as source code. So that's uh, uh, why are you so mad? Oh, you've got an errant dot after your first curly brace, your open curly brace. Is that it? Do I? Where is it? Oh, maybe that's. Oh, no. Do you have a dirt spec on your screen, Seth? No. I, 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 <laughs> seriously, I, I <laughs> maybe. Yep, I totally do. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it because this is happening like, to me oh, before. There's, a, there's so. a period there. What's going on? Nope, no, you don't. Sorry. <laughs> I have totally done that before on my laptop uh, screen. That's why I was like, I wonder if he has the same thing because it's happened to me. Oh. It looks just like a. Period, yeah. yeah, you had to have a void. You have to have a return, right? That's uh, yeah, yeah. We needed um, some sort of return type. Uh, yeah, yeah. So again, uh, you need a return type in Java. That's when I didn't have one. Uh, it didn't work. Um, so that is kind of a gotcha sometimes. Um, okay, so now we're matching every function that calls uh, make transaction anywhere in it, uh, and we basically want to filter out the cases where. Uh, verify is called first. OK, cool. So let's look at our examples. So we're not matching sort of this happy case where they're called in the right order. Here, uh, we're only calling make, so that's bad. Here, we're calling them in the wrong order, so that's bad. Just calling verify, totally fine. Here, there's other statements in between, but they're in the wrong order. We see make here and then verify here, so that's bad. Uh, here, it's in the right order. Um, but this last case is kind of interesting because we're actually uh, verifying one object, but calling make transaction on another object. So, so that's probably a bug. 
right, uh, in our system. Um, but we can actually fix this by using meta variables. So here, uh, we're not caring what the arguments are. But if we actually say, oh, this is verifying some transaction object, and then uh, make transaction, it must sort of do that same object. So when you use meta variables in a pattern, you're enforcing that they're the same. Um, so if we do that, we can see that this is still flagging, or this is now flagging this case because other is not T. Um, yeah, so so basically we we took an idea of like a business logic thing in our head that we were like, oh, this should always be the case. This is an anti-pattern. Um, and then we codified that in like nine lines uh, of code in about like two minutes. Um, this this makes a lot of sense for, especially for authorization decorators, <clears throat> to your so point about finding routes that don't have, uh, well, sorry, am I spoiling things? But this is very useful. No, That's, no, no, totally. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're, yeah. Uh, we, we've used it on engagements to like find me all the routes or find me all the unauthenticated routes or are there routes that use like different sort of authorization or authentication patterns than other routes. Cause like, that's weird. That's an anomaly that we might want to look into. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like I think one of the, the, the things we show in the course is, um, anonymous, uh, I think it was like anonymous, uh, allow anonymous in mm. C sharp code yeah. and, and, uh, talk about finding, you know, where that's not applied. So, uh, yeah, it's just so many uses. This is awesome. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you like it. Um, great. Yeah, thank you. So uh, I'm going to just like uh, just to like promote like here's some other things that it can do. We're not going to go into it in detail because I want to like actually show rolling this out into CI and like rolling out a custom rule in CI in like two minutes. Um, but just just to sort of like highlight some of the things it can do. Um, so sometimes you want to be a little bit more specific and say like, oh, I want to only match say. Um, function calls that are exec, but if it's a runtime type. So in Java and Golang, which are statically types, you can do that. So here we're flagging this uh, rt.exec and arg.exec because they're both of type runtime. Um, but if there's like another object that is like the implementation of exec is like, you know, safe, like it's fine. Um, we can like uh, basically do like a type aware query, like find only this type. Um, Let's see, let's say um, you have a, a standard way that you want developers to access secrets. Um, so just like philosophically, we, we don't want to be a tool that's like giving people more work. We don't want to be like, here's a bunch of problems uh, and then go fix it. Ideally, we want to say, hey, this is a thing. And also like, how can we sort of reduce your burden and, and save you some time? So let's say uh, you're like, well, we've got some code that's like accessing keys from environment variables or from like some config file or something like that. Uh, but really, we want everyone to use Vault, uh, which is a, a popular um, secret management tool by HashiCorp. Um, so you can actually specify like an autofix key in the semgrep pattern. Um, and this, uh, we're still working out uh, like rolling this out to GitHub. But basically, you can say, find one of these things, replace it with this thing. Um, and then you could just say like, cool, developer just like, you know, clicks a button is like thumbs up and then cool, we've, uh, we've replaced that with uh, what it should be. So again, not just fine, but ideally tell people like, here's how to fix it, um, which is hopefully gonna make it much easier and thus more likely that people uh, do what you would like them to do. 
Cool. And uh, those those rules as, as well, I take it, are pretty easy to write as far as the the patterns. It looks like it's pretty simple there, right? As far yeah. as... The yeah. syntax is actually the same. Um, the mm -hmm. same pattern syntax you can use in like finding something is the same uh, in fixing something. So actually, if you if you look behind the scenes, everything that we're writing uh, is actually sort of compiles down to just YAML. So here, under the hood, it's basically saying, okay, so pattern like find either of these things, um, and then there's like a fix key, and you just like put in what that is. Cool. Okay. Um, uh, and then last thing, um, so we recently added some things so that you can run SEMgrep on basically uh, any text. So like we do fancier things on like programming languages we officially support, but let's say you wanted to like uh, look for script tags in HTML um, that don't have uh, like this uh, integrity, like SRI key. Um, here we can see. Um, basically running SEMgrep on HTML, um, still using the same primitives, like zero or more. I don't care what this value is. Um, we can also run on, for example, Terraform files, where you could say, um, you know, find all sort of resource blocks such that the ACL is public read-write. Um, so in a limited form, you can run SEMgrep on basically any text file. Um, mm -hmm. Some of the advanced features may not work. Like for example, you can't use like type matching um, on like Terraform uh, because like that requires sort of different logic or you can't do import aliasing and I don't know, like text files. Um, but like at least dot, dot, dot and to a limited extent meta variables you can use on like any text file. So Docker files, nice. HTML, uh, Terraform, uh, CloudFormation, like whatever. So from a, from a use perspective, are you are you seeing SEMgrep then being used in those in those cases for you know validation of Terraform, Docker, all those you know YAML files? I'd I'd take it right like across mm -hmm. the board or uh, yeah. So this is actually uh, super new. <laughs> we just uh, rolled this out like a week or two ago, maybe two weeks ago. Um, uh, and part of the reason why is because many customers were asking for it. Um, <laughs> so I think. Uh, it's still early stages in terms of um, widespread use of SEMgrep for that functionality, but uh, I think it probably will be more so going forward. Um, it just wasn't possible until recently. Um, but yeah, now you can. Cool. Yeah, I can see it as being useful, right? Rolling kind of all of these standards. I, yeah, it goes back to the, the rate, you know, the, the idea of a, yeah, a security guardrails, right? across the board, you know, whether it's code or anything that is represented as code, um, you want to validate before you push it out. So yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, I can see that as being extremely useful. Uh, Matt's asking SEMgrep versus OPA. I don't know if that's a... Yeah, uh, open policy agent. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. So um, yeah, like OPA and, well, yeah, so there's like a, a tool like ConfTest as well, I think that's often used with OPA, which is basically for um, vetting um, sort of that uh, YAML files have the certain properties or do or don't have the certain properties that you expect. Um, yeah, so I think OPA does like a lot of things. Uh, I'm not an expert with it, but I believe it sort of has like broader purposes rather than just um, sort of like this specific use case. And I think ConfTest is sort of targeting YAML specifically. Um, 
Yeah, I would say that there are probably some things that um, OPA and ConfTest can uh, reason about YAML files that is uh, like not yet supported by SendRep because that's been like their only focus. Whereas we're like focusing on analyzing like every language, and YAML is just like one example of it. So they're a bit more specialized and tailored. So at least at this point, they might do a better job. Um, but our goal is to um, enable basically any possible uh, use case in terms of reasoning about any uh, text file. Um, yeah, so I'd say okay. they have like a bit different focuses. Um, and right now they may be a little bit ahead, but it is something we're hoping to uh, get better at soon. Um, mm -hmm. To be honest, I just like haven't played extensively with OPA or um, CompTest, so I, I don't want to like claim something that's not true just because I'm not uh, in detail familiar with it. Makes sense. Makes sense. Right. It, yeah. It looks, it, I mean, it sounds like there is some some crossover functionality there, but, uh, you know, it does go across the board. And I can see the, I, again, I go back to the usefulness of having a single tool that you're using for, you know, multiple different purposes. Um, but it's not going to be a fit for everybody. I, I mean, I don't think there's always, you know, there there's always use cases that kind of fall outside that any one tool's area of expertise, I guess. That's uh, but yeah. Oh yeah, there is. Um, I don't think I have any examples uh, of this, but um, so we knew that people were going to want to do um, crazy things in SimGrip patterns, and we're like, we don't know how to build out all of that. So we actually created this escape hash called Patternware Python, uh, where you can actually put basically arbitrary Python into your SimGrip rule, which will then be passed to the meta variables you've matched. So you could say like, oh, um, like match this string. And then in Python, you could say, does this string begin with like uh, HTTP? Well, actually there's like a separate thing that you can do that doesn't require arbitrary Python. But basically like if you wanted to write like, I don't know, a block that evaluated the entropy of a string in Python, like you could do that uh, cool. in SEMGREP itself. All right. So that's kind of the extensibility factor, right? That, that you've built in or that they've built into the tool there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I did build the initial version uh, of Patternware Python, but I think other people have made it uh, significantly better than my uh, crappy POC. Um, uh, yeah, so ba basically, um, I wanted to show you like rolling um, SimGrip out to uh, CI. Um, so basically, so far, we're like, here's how to write patterns. Uh, the, you know, the registry has a bunch of patterns uh, already. Um, but let's say you're like, hey, this is kind of cool. I would like to use this on uh, my repos. So how would you do that? Um, so if you go to manage here on semgrep.dev, uh, we basically take you to this dashboard where you can sort of set up a series of projects. And uh, the idea is rather than having to say, do a pull request to every um, different project, like let's say you have tens, hundreds, thousands of projects at your company, Every time you change like what checks do you want to scan for, you add like a new check as you have sort of new anti-patterns you want to block. Like you don't want to do like a thousand PRs to a thousand projects, right? So basically this SEMGREP app is a way to say uh, whenever you run SEMGREP in CI, it's going to reach out to this service uh, if you want it to and say like, hey, what policy should I use on this repo? Um, so basically you can centrally manage as an AppSec team uh, everything that uh, is scanned on every project. Um, so there's like a series of policies where you could say, uh, I want to scan like every Django repo with these rules, every Rails repo with these rules, every like Android app with these rules. 
Um, you can have like exemptions for different things. Um, so I'll show you this more uh, in a second. Um, it also handles like notifications, like Slack, email, um, stuff like that. But but yeah, let's just show um, setting this up on a new project. Um, so basically, I've forked a uh, repo, like a sample vulnerable Flask app from the the great uh, We45 people, uh, Abhe. Um, yeah. So let's just like look at like adding this project. Um, okay, so set up a new project. Um, basically, we're going to uh, create a token, which uh, is going to be used in a GitHub action to basically send it to the SEMgrep server to be like, yo, this is who I am. Like, what what policy should I run? Um, so basically, what we're going to do is go to the settings for this repo. You can do this like repo specific or like across your entire org. Um, basically, say, okay, we've got this secret. We've got this token. We'll just save this, um, and this is going to be used by a GitHub action. We add to this repo in a second. Um, yeah. So. Uh, basically, like SemGrep is never going to send your source code to our servers. Uh, we don't want it. it. It's just very high risk and high liability for us. So we do send back like uh, snippets of results so that you can like see it in the UI, so that you can do like dashboards and metrics and like like what is your fix rate, how long are things, uh, how long are bugs open, blah blah blah, stuff like that. But yeah, we're we're not we're not trying to send your source code to us because that's like honestly super risky for us and we don't even want it. Um, yeah, I feel like that's a common, that's becoming more of a common thing of just like the snippets versus the whole code base for what, for the reasons you listed. Yeah, because like, uh, like we don't want it from a risk point of view. And also like companies uh, oftentimes just can't do that for a sort of like compliance governance or other reasons. So it's just like, let's, right. uh, and also it's just like principles of least privilege, you know, let's, let's not get access to things we don't need. And um, even if they did, you'd have to go through some sort of not you personally, obviously, but the company would have to go through some yeah. external vendor thing, and it yeah, it would be like a big process. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so yeah, so basically, uh, we're given this little snippet to say, here's how to use it on your CI platform. So here we're going to do uh, GitHub, which is sort of like what we're um, mainly uh, focused on right now. But you can also use this in like uh, Jenkins, Travis, GitLab, uh, whatever. Um, OK. So basically, now we're just setting up a, a GitHub action. Um, you know, YOLO commit to main. Um, OK, so basically, now uh, when we push new code to uh, this repo, SEMgrep is going to scan it. Um, so it sort of gives you like an example. Here's like a simple thing that's going to fail. Um, so let's just do. Like a very simple. So we have a check for if you ever have a uh, comparison where the left and right hand side are the same, because probably this is a bug. You probably didn't mean to do that. Um, so let's create a new pull request. And obviously, if you're like doing this from uh, the command line, like it works the same. Uh, it's more just like it's easier to do it in the UI. Um, for this demo. Um, yeah, so basically, uh, since we've set up the GitHub action, every new pull request uh, is going to be scanned by SendGrep. And then uh, we'll get the results here. Um, yeah, any uh, questions about this workflow so far? 
I wouldn't, I don't think I would have questions. Uh, I'm familiar, too familiar <laughs> with it. So, um, yeah, yeah it's, it looks, uh, it's very for me, it looks pretty Yeah, yep. Yeah. yeah, it's just like, how do people already do this? You just add another like GitHub action or another GitLab runner. Just we're, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel. We're just like, how do people do things already? Cool, let's make that super easy. Um, cool, so SimGraph is already done. Uh, we can see that we have a nice pull request comment here that says, hey, uh, this is always true. Um, basically, like, yeah, don't do that. Um, so cool. So, so that's, that's basically it. Um, if you go back to here, we can see that this new repo now showed up. And uh, we found one thing in the last scan. Um, and uh, soon we'll have various like dashboards, reporting, metrics, um, tracking burn down over time. Uh, we can also see that I've configured uh, this private Slack channel to basically send me alert to say, hey, on this repo, this pull request found this thing. So um, you can imagine uh, having like piping this into like your AppSec channel to say like, oh, here's things that we might want to look at uh, asynchronously. Um, one thing that I think is pretty interesting is um, there may be checks that you want to run that are very high signal that you want to say block the build if you find them. But there's other things that are maybe lower signal that you just want to like alert the security team about. Um, so basically, you can like turn these on or off. Like, hey, this is like a security thing that I want to know about. Like, someone's using crypto, but it's not necessarily a bug. Um, so you could say like, don't block CI, but do notify me via Slack so that you can sort of uh, proactively reach out to developers if it's like something you want to chat about. Um, yeah. So uh, unless you have uh, any questions, I think that we should uh, write uh, a rule together. Um, and by that I mean uh, you all can do it, and I, I will just watch. You'll just you'll just watch us flounder. Is that what's that's that's what's going on here? Yeah. Uh, I will type, and then. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. There we go. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So so let's like look at the code for this vulnerable Flask app. Um, so here, this is like a pretty common uh, Flask pattern. So right, so you're like defining uh, your route. Um, you're doing some sort of like authorization check. Here we're looking for like a, a JWT value in the authorization header. Um, so like if it doesn't have it, error. Otherwise, you know, verify it and then like do other stuff. Um, so. I would like, let's say we're the, the AppSec team managing this repo. Like, I want to find, like, whenever someone adds a new route that does not do an uh, authentication check, because, like, uh, or an auth uh, authorization check. Um, does that sound like something that you'd be like, oh, this is interesting? Definitely. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 100%. Uh, cool. So I've uh, copied just some, like, example code into here. Um, based on sort of the code uh, in this repo. So let's say here we have a route uh, where we are doing this auth check. And there's uh, that it's not. Here yep. it's not. Here, like both of these were not, but like the HTTP methods are different. There's like some extra statements in here. Maybe the response code is different. Um, maybe like this message is different. Um, and then we've got like something that's not a route, just like some other code. Um, so ideally, uh, I want you to both write a, a pattern that finds both of these, uh, but does not find this, um, because this is safe. Uh, right. It doesn't so, have to be perfect and find everything, but that, that's basically the goal. 
Okay. So are we looking to basically say like, hey, there's no um, check on that uh, token uh, validation so we can safely assume that there's no authentication? Yeah, yeah, but we yeah. want to make sure that it's got the route in there too, right? That it's accessible because mm. because we don't care about the functions where there's no route that's coming in for authorization, right? You're, you're going to depend on it coming in from other places, right? So that that's that last function there. So the first thing that we want to search for is, you know, you've got an uh, app route that's followed by some function, right? Like that. De so um, yeah, I guess conceptually, can you describe to me at like a meta level how you would uh, find this, um, just, just before you like dig into like the specifics too much, like, I guess, I guess like in like a sentence or two, how would you like maybe just in English, uh, describe it? So if it has a route and it doesn't check or it doesn't do the, uh, authorization bit, um, uh, probably be the, uh, we could, we could probably, cause like Seth, we would probably want to just get the request.headers.get because whatever the token, what that token equals, that receiver is like, could be anything anywhere throughout the code. It could be like some safe token or whatever. So we just mm -hmm. want to get the, so those two things, I think, are the main bits. Um, also, yeah. like, if it's, yeah. I mean, going further, we probably also, if there's not a, like an actual conditional check, then that would be an issue too. Yeah. So. Yeah, well, I mean, so we've got the, okay, is it a route? Um, so the, the function exists, it has a route, and does it perform the, if it doesn't perform the authorization check, then we want to know about it. Yeah, and if you think back to the make transaction example, um, I think we might want to do a similar thing here where we're searching for a negative. So like, yeah can we find all the things and then filter out the things that are safe might be one way to go about it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's how I would start it. Right. Like exactly what you've copied up there. Right. Is it a route? Like the function has a route and then we filter out anything that has the authorization headers or the authorization check on it, but we, we keep everything that doesn't. Cool. Yeah. I like that. So um, yeah. So what should I change from what I've copied up? Um, you've got to change the, um, the, the string literal. Like if we start at the beginning, right, that's gotta be a dot, dot, dot. Um, the method, we don't care about what the method is, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so again, oh, actually we could probably just do dot, dot, dot after that, right? Yeah. Yeah. So like this can be multiple values. Um, but yeah, I think. If we wanted to uh, just be even more sort of lazy, we could just do this because, like, we don't care about the arguments, perhaps. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the name of the function just we'll change that to a what is it the the variable right the dollar sign route. Well, yeah, sure. Okay, so that's going to match every. At that point, that should match every everything that's a route. Oh wait, yeah. make this yeah. valid Python. We do actually need to give it a body. Okay. Um, yep. But uh, cool. So we are matching every route and we're not matching this other function. So yeah, I'd say we're doing great. Okay. And then, and then we want to do where it does not match the, the authorization check. Right? It's not, um, yeah, we could just copy what you've done already. Are you saying uh, something like this, perhaps? 
Yes. Right. Um, I think Ken was saying something about this. Oh yeah, sorry. I was also responding to some of the Q and A stuff. Um, yeah, so like, no, just um, the so we did the route. The other thing is just seeing to get if we get that authorization header, and then the the third component I think was just a conditional, right? If there's no conditional check, then uh, yeah, we could have gotten the token, but like, are we doing any? Are we doing any? Jesus, I can't talk. <laughs> are we actually doing anything with the? value the receiver of request.headers.get, you know, authorization. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, so we've got to change that value because it could be something else besides. Token. Yeah. The variable name could be anything. Mm -hmm. uh, cool. Yes. Let's see what happens. Um, yeah. So we did uh, not flag this and we did flag uh, these two guys. So yeah. 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 Yay, it worked. <laughs> it worked. No pressure, Clint. No pressure at all. <laughs> yeah. So you handled that famously, like really well. <laughs> yeah. No, this is all you guys. Uh, so, so one thing that's cool is so we can give this uh, a name. Um, so let's say uh, Flask Unauthenticated Routes Absolute AppSec. Um, and uh, one thing that's kind of cool is um, so we can customize this message. So um, I've actually done this uh, a little bit already. Um, but let's say we wanted to not just flag unauthenticated routes, but we wanted to uh, tell developers, like, probably you want to do this. Um, uh, this is going to be a little messy in this case, because we would need to match uh, all of the arguments. Uh, OK, let, let me do a something that's not perfect, but is sort of kind of what I mean. Um, we could say something like, uh, hey, uh, you're uh, adding an unauthenticated route. Please add in uh, the following header check or contact the uh, security team. Um, the one neat thing is you can actually interpolate uh, meta variables into the message. So we could okay. say, you know, uh, this meta variable route, like let's put that right in there. Um, and we haven't um, fully integrated with the uh, GitHub API in terms of like the auto suggested fix. So this is like probably not going to work exactly right, but just uh, to give you like an illustrative example of where we're headed. Um, uh, cool. So yeah, we've created a message. We've created a check. Um, let's say uh, Flask on off routes absolute appsec. Um, cool. So let's say we're happy with this and we want to roll this out on CI uh, always. Okay. Um, basically, all you have to do is click this Add to Policy button, select oh, one of the policies uh -huh. you set up, and then be like, bam. If you go, so that's that's actually migrating from the the right tab over to the manage tab in any of those policies. Yeah. So because you're logged in on this like editor tab, it like knows who you are. So now we see this check we just wrote is now showing up in our policy. Um, and again, remember that this policy is being used to scan this like vulnerable Flask repo. So now, let's say we just copy these test cases into this file. 
So let's say, just edit it directly here. Just let's say, let's just add it at the, somewhere towards the bottom. I just like copied in our test cases um, and let's say create a new branch, call this unauth routes. And let's create a pull request. So uh, basically the uh, workflow that's happened here is we looked at the code, we found something that we wanted to find regularly. We uh, quickly prototyped a check just in simgrep.live, but you can just do this locally. You don't have to use RUI. It's just like, this is like a nice way to view it, uh, but you can do this uh, via CLI or uh, you know in your IDE or, or whatever. Um, yeah. So we wrote a thing, created some test cases, uh, just did sort of a, a one-click add to policy, which got added to the policy that you're already using to scan this repo. Um, again, you like don't need a pull request to every repo every time you're like adding a new check, uh, which to me is super convenient. If you have like say a hundred Flask repos and you're like, I want to apply this everywhere, um, and then yeah, every pull request uh, going forward uh, for this repo or for any repo using this policy uh, is now going to get this check uh, that you just wrote, and we'll uh, see this. Yeah, now uh, we're just waiting for GitHub Actions yeah. to do its thing. Oh, there you go. Yep. So, so yeah, actually, so again, the rule that we wrote um, didn't properly grab the app.route at the beginning. So like, we would need to be a little bit more clever about doing that for the uh, auto fix. Uh, but you can see here, we are basically, um, we'd have to improve the rule. But basically, we're using a GitHub suggestion feature to say like, oh, let's like give the developer not just like, this is what's wrong, but like, hey, can we just like, hey, please add this header check and then like, boom, you're done. And then they just like commit and then like, you know, converge it in or whatnot. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so, so yeah, that's, uh, that's basically all. Uh, oh, and if you go back to Slack, uh, again, you're the AppSec team. Maybe you don't want to block the build, but you're like, hey, we see that this, uh, you know, this pull request just added a few unauthenticated routes, like on these two lines, like maybe you want to audit this. Um, so, so yeah, that's, uh, that's using it end to end. Uh, rolling it out in CI and uh, writing custom rules. Congrats to both of you. Uh, you learned how to write rules, and you wrote one in uh, in about an hour. So sweet. <laughs> that was amazing. That was seriously. Yes. This, uh, this is. I mean, how many people do we know, Seth, that are on teams that need that have the ability to to, to create actions workflows? They're working in Slack. They're they need something simple like this. Not not the traditional heavyweight, uh, like we always say, each tool has its own place, but but this is probably a, a more common uh, scenario that you and I come across when we talk to folks. And Clint, I'm sure it's the same for you. Uh, so this is, I mean, this is a truly helpful. I mean, really it is. Thank you so much. I mean, for for, for spending your time showing showing folks, this is, this is practical and useful. And yeah, I've already I, got, I, I have I, I yeah, it is. Uh, Seth, I was going to mention, you know, there's a few things because we talked about. So like, for instance, uh, yeah, like whenever we in the course, we talk about mapping out routes. That was that was one one way. Another thing I was thinking about, Clint, when when you were showing this is that because we've been talking a lot also recently about, you know, 
sort of prioritizing your assessments based off of risk. And mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, th this would be a great tool to profile an application for some things that might, you might consider to be risky and, and requiring a review. So, um, yeah, like I, I, there's so many things that kind of pop to, to pop to mind and, in, in, in not just doing static analysis and looking for vulns, but like in various ways you can implement this in your AppSec, like, Risk, risk assessments, um, probably some data collection for threat modeling, uh, obviously what you showed there, which is prevention of uh, dangerous functions being introduced, um, uh, a lot of speeding up of your own manual assessments. So augmenting your manual assessments to, to expedite, because like, for instance, um, Seth and I, um, you know, we talk about where you'll 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 go into a framework and you'll look for some of the dangerous methods that are specific to that framework. Totally. And then, yeah, and then you find them, and then they're called in like fifty different places, and then those methods are called in fifty other places. It's very time intensive for when you're doing that manually, anyways. So this is another way to speed it up. So, anyways, I mean, we could probably just keep going and going and going, but there's so many ideas of how to practically use this. So um, yeah, I don't want to. Uh, so. Uh, I don't want to spoil their uh, their day in the sun, but there are so to a couple of the points you mentioned. Uh, a couple of people we're chatting with are uh, sort of like automating parts of their um, either security assessment or like threat modeling uh, using SEMgrep. So uh, look for some blog posts about that soon. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. Ba basically, the reason I joined R two C was like as a pen tester, I wanted this tool and to have the opportunity to help sort of. Uh, influence the direction of it, uh, I found very exciting. And also that it was like open source so that I knew that I wasn't like contributing value to something that was like uh, only a few people were going to get access to for like a lot of money. It's like basically everything I've showed you today, you could use five minutes from now for free uh, without yeah. ever talking to anyone. Like, well, it, it goes to, it goes to your, because Seth and I have talked about, talk, talked about, uh, you on the podcast in that, I think it was maybe even the last episode where we said a lot of what you do is purposeful um, I don't feel like you're the type of person to do everything and what you do put your energy into. It's very purposeful. You, you, you are, you try to do the best at that, that you can, like your newsletter is a great example. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and it's, oh yeah, of course. I mean, thank you. You've given the community a bunch of useful information, but this is, this is really helpful. So I just, I can't say much else, Seth, other than, this is amazing, <laughs> you know, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It is very, it is. And I've already got like, you're, you're talking about using it inside of a, like as a security consultant. Right. And um, I'm already some of the projects that I'm currently on I'm thinking, Oh crap. Like I could really use this from a, you know, distillation perspective and it would speed up the, well, it would, it would lessen the amount of time I spend in the ID searching for specific things, which is exactly what I need. Right. You know, um, anyway, yeah, I, I know we're we're over time, and we want to be cognizant of that, Clint. That we don't want to take up too much of your day. Um, that being nice, yeah, but... <laughs> that yes. being said, we did want to promote you know TLDR Sec, right? You know, um, if you if you haven't subscribed to it, you should because it's awesome. Like we, I, I think we pull ideas, uh, we review some of the stuff that you talk about in there um, on a you know weekly basis like the the tools and everything else that launch in there it always spurs good discussion here and we're we're very appreciative of it as well as well as you coming on right it's always great to to chat and catch up now that we don't see each other in person anymore because of the quarantine so 
Yeah, but hopefully again soon. And yeah, I uh, definitely uh, hear about a bunch of cool people and uh, tools from you all. So so thank you. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Um, let's see. Uh, anything else that you would like to promote, Clint, before we you know uh, show for today? Uh, no, I don't think so. Just uh, give it a try. Um, if you find you're like, oh, I wish some grep did this, or I found a bug, uh, please uh, file a GitHub issue or just reach out on our Slack. Uh, yeah, uh, we just want to make a, a nice tool for the community. So if you can help us do that, we'd be happy. Great. If um, if people do, and by the way, that's semgrep.dev for the folks who are listening and not on uh, YouTube, uh, Apple, Spotify folks. So. Um, if people have, if people start using this tool and they have some interesting use cases they want to give to you, should they reach out to you about that? Is there a specific avenue? Is Twitter the best way? Which, by the way, we got to put your Twitter handle out there. But yeah, yeah, I would say the the best way to make sure everyone uh, at R two C sees it is probably to post in the community Slack. Uh, like, feel free to DM me. Like, I'd be happy to chat with you. But um, we have actually gotten a, a number of uh, product features that have gotten rolled out into um, the open source tool, like just from community people being like, oh, I wish it did this, or like, why doesn't it do that? Um, so like a lot of the, some of the features I've showed you have been specifically like, oh, I have this pain point. Can you make this less <laughs> frustrating for me? Um, so if something's really annoying to you, uh, let us know and we'll, we'll see if we can fit that into sort of just a core feature. Cool. Good deal. Awesome. Yeah, we'll send people that uh, again. Appreciate your time. Um, yeah, I, I don't I don't think there's anything else to, to wrap things up today. Um, find us online, join the, you know, the SEMGREP community. Is, is that what it is? Or is the R2C community Slack channel? Uh, yeah, or Absolute App Yeah, whatever. Whatever. Each, each one, right? It makes sense. Right? I think it's the R2C community. I, th I saw a link to it there on SEMGREP.dev. Before um, we go, Seth, I do want to mention uh, next week. Okay. Okay, so next week we've got Lewis Arden and Pwn Function. They're going to be discussing their evading defenses using Vue.js uh, script gadgets. Um, mm -hmm. uh, their article and research that's on portswigger.net. They'll be here next uh, Tuesday, same awesome. time as this one. So, yeah. Cool. All right. And then um, at some point, I've been doing a bunch of work with Threat Dragon lately, trying to um, really see like what the limitations are and whatnot. So uh, probably one of the podcasts upcoming, I'll, I'll discuss what I what I've found since I've been using it frequently. So oh, cool. Cool. Looking forward to that. Yeah. Sweet. Should be good. All right. Well, thanks everybody for joining today. Um, we'll catch you all online or next week. Awesome. Cool. Thanks. Thanks.